0: Well, good morning, Applewood family. Feel like I should introduce myself. <laughs> it, yeah, saw my face in the post office, right? Good to be home. Thank you for your uh, your prayers for us. We had a uh, we had a great time away, a wonderful time with family. Although I have to tell you, there is a question that went through my mind just about every day, and that was. Why did we do this in Georgia? (laughs) My goodness. I just kept asking Sharisa, why would a person live here if they didn't have to? (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, Just, oh, December, January, maybe, but don't go in July or August. Oh, my goodness. But we had a great time with family despite the heat and incredible humidity. Doug, thank you for doing a great job of stepping in. Always appreciated. I know you were a blessing. I need to set the record straight. Um, Doug said something about my requirements and uh, one of them was that he he had to lose the PowerPoint. Um, I, uh, I just want you to know that 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 was not as a result of feedback that I had received from any of you. That was just my own insecurities. (laughs) And I passed that along. Um, You know, I I live with this this overwhelming sense of stupidity. When it comes to technology, you know, I, I want to be sharper and more, you know, astute when it comes to that stuff, but to be quite honest, there's a side of me that just really doesn't care that much. It's just true confessions, you know, but I, I live with this sense of, you know, if I get my act together and if I would do more with 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 media, that would probably make me a more effective pastor. Uh, it would force me to be more organized and less spontaneous. And and then, of course, you would probably listen more closely. And then you'd begin to invite all your friends. And and then we'd just have to go right into phase two because there wouldn't be room for everybody. And how did this become about me? (laughs) But that is often, isn't it? Where our minds and our hearts go, even with the best of intentions. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to John 15 it's our text for our summer series I'm calling this series Life in the Vine if you've been if you've been reading it all in in this chapter or if you haven't been reading perhaps you're familiar enough with it you know that that Jesus refers to himself as the true vine the true vine and he tells his followers that that they are the branches now one of the greatest challenges that I face as uh as your pastor is is choosing the next sermon series, you know, we come to the end of one and and it's time to start another one and 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 I usually, you know, spend time praying and 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 asking the Lord deeply spiritual questions like what on earth am I going to preach next? <laughs> and uh, began to do that some weeks ago. And it was just strangely quiet. And as uh, time got closer for summer series to begin, I I just kept asking, well, Lord, where, where are we going with this? It, uh, the silence went on longer than, than I liked for it to go. Because, you know, again... In order to be a good pastor, I need to be well planned and well laid out. And, 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 and I, I wouldn't want you to think otherwise. And so it became about me again, even in that very spiritual process of deciding what are we going to preach on. One day, out of the blue, was not thinking about it. The words of Jesus from John 15 just came rocketing in my head. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then it's almost as if the Spirit of God verbalized this question Guy, which part of that word, nothing, do you not understand? You know, and in my desire to, to be the pastor that I should be, and in my searching, and in my having to nail my life down and have everything in order. I was reminded, lovingly, but albeit reminded, that sometimes, even in the best intentions, we can make things about us. And I knew that in those words, I had our summer sermon series. Life in the vine. What is that like? What does that look like? What does that sound like? How, how do we live that out? Our lives, we spend a lot of time in Ephesians talking about responding to the amazing grace of God as if it really is amazing and not just a song that we sing. And I think in John 15, Jesus is teaching us some very significant truths for a very important purpose. You know, as Doug said last week, God God is imminent in the ordinary, in the in the day-to-day of life. All of life, we know. All of life belongs to God, and, and all of life is to be lived as if he exists in every detail and every breath, because in fact he does. And that truth ought to make all of life extraordinary for his people. God is present. God is real. Every moment, every step, every breath. Woo, you're looking excited about that (laughs) truth. Yeah. And it's the responsibility of those who know him to live as if that is true. Ooh. So, keep that in mind as we stand to read our text this morning. And we're going to follow that with the neighbor question that I've learned that Doug loves so much. <laughs> well, we're going to do it anyway. Stand. Let's read together from John 15. All right. Here we go. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love." This is my command, love each other. My brothers and my sisters, the words of our Lord Jesus, the word of God. God. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Okay. Here's what I would like for you to do. Turn to someone nearby and... Think about those words, talk about those words that we just read, those words that convicted me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to discuss that with a neighbor, and in particular, I want you to wrestle with that word, nothing. What is it that Jesus is trying to get across to his followers And why is that important? Okay? Apart from me, you can do nothing. What is Jesus getting at when he says nothing? What's he want his disciples to understand? Why is that important? Go ahead, see what your neighbor thinks. Okay. Here we go. What'd you talk about? What'd you learn from the person that you talked with about this idea of, of not not being able to do anything apart from Jesus doing nothing? What's Jesus mean? Why is this important? What what'd you wrestle with? Go ahead. Who wants to go first? Don't everybody jump at once. Brian. Okay. Or you're to have nothing permanent, to etc. Okay. Okay. So there could there's there's an eternal dimension there. Yeah, for sure. Because there was the that it very successful here on earth. Okay. Whenever when that ends, Okay. So good. That further defines a little bit. Good, Allie. Kind of along the same lines we were talking about, you know, you will have nothing that lasts. Mm. But even This and this and this but have not love mm-hmm, mm-hmm. also I forget where it is but when it talks about you know um, that you build but it's going to be tested with fire Yeah. And so it will be burned up and you'll escape so even as Christians we can build without Christ but mm-hmm. and some have said and you arrive in heaven smelling a little smoky exactly. yeah <laughs> okay. good point someone else Okay, okay. Jesus to us, what, what okay. Very good. Very good. Anyone else? Eileen. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Nothing worthful. <laughs> I love that. Good comment, neighbor. <laughs> Gary? When Jesus walked up Yeah. Yeah. exactly good observation because that love drives us or it will by the presence of the spirit in our lives it will drive us to do the things that we do for the right reasons for for the right glory and to be quite honest that's never our glory the right glory is never our glory the right glory is always always god's glory always doing and living in such a way that our passion is that God be glorified. We are, as I've often said, we're glory thieves. And we don't even set out to be glory thieves. But, but we can do it, sometimes in the most subtle of ways. There, there are lots of, of good things that happen in the world oftentimes done by God's people who have the best of intentions, but when push comes to shove and you're really honest about why did this happen, was God's glory the goal? Was the, was, was the, was the proclamation of, of the gospel the goal? Was, was seeing people become followers of Jesus, was, was there an ultimate goal in that? There are lots of good things that can be done that aren't necessarily the fruit that Jesus is talking about here give you a great example you ready have you noticed the big holes around our building yeah Yeah. okay so ask yourself why am I excited about those holes in the ground AWCC swimming pool, finally! (laughs) Of course not. Is it wrong to be excited about those holes in the ground? No! And I'm not asking you to stand up and say why you're excited about those holes. But there's an example. There there are subtle nuances that work their way into our thinking. I'm excited about the fact that that we're building. Why? Why? Am I excited about the fact that we're building? What will be the result in my mind of that building? Who will receive attention as a result of that building? Don't hear me say I'm not excited. I am. But I find myself coming back again and again and again to what, what are my, my, my reasons for excitement? What's, what's energizing me in this? What's motivating my heart? You know, do, <clears throat> do we want folks to drive by and see a beautiful building? Well, that's nice. Do we want folks to think that we're, we're finally growing and we're finally doing something in that community? Well, who's that about? You see where I'm going? Without pushing this too far and, and making us feel guilty for what we're doing because it is a joyful, wonderful blessing. We need to, Constantly keep in mind who Jesus is calling us to be in the midst of this process and ultimately what we want as a result of this process. We want this to we want this to bring glory to God. We want this to bring people to Jesus. We want people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus as a result of of where we believe He is leading us to go in these days. Cannot lose sight of those things. So when Jesus talks about nothing, I really do think he has in mind the, the, the things of spiritual value in this life. Last week, you all read from Acts chapter 17, that powerful statement that Paul preached to the Athenians. Remember where he talks about every human being has their, their life, their very breath comes from God. They are, they are dependent upon the existence of God for their lives. And we know that's right, don't we? Nod your head, yes, we know that's right. As followers of Jesus, we don't question for a moment that that God holds human life in his hands. And we know what Paul teaches in Colossians chapter 1, where he says that Jesus is the creator of all things, that, that it was by him and for him that all things were created. So there is a sense here in which Jesus is referring to himself as the vine, to be understood as in him there is life, that, that through him life flows to all people. But if we look at the immediate context, disciples, followers of their master... Consider who it is that he is speaking to. I think there's something that's, that's far more important that's going on here. The disciples lived in, in lands that were, were full of, of vineyards. They would have been very familiar with the images that Jesus is using here in this chapter the importance of branches being firmly attached to the vine so that they would bear fruit of branches that were were carefully pruned and and tended by the farmer so that they would bear fruit. Pruned and taken care of and nourished so that they would bear even more fruit. And ultimately, the the idea of, of piles of dead branches... Being burned, for what reason? Because they weren't bearing fruit. That's what branches do. That's what grape branches do. So, what do you think went through the minds of the disciples when Jesus said to them, I am the vine and you are the branches? They understood, I think probably more than we do, they understood that, that their lives, as a result of being connected to Jesus the vine, ought to look and sound a whole lot like the Master. You see, grape vines don't produce figs. You know, you don't find cherries at one end on a grape vine. You know the, the the fruit is consistent with the life that the vine has in it. Make sense? Mm-hmm. And so we can be sure that that Jesus' disciples are hearing him clearly. I am the vine; you are the branches. The life that flows from me flows into you, so that you will bear fruit. Why must they bear fruit? Because that's what branches do—they bear fruit. Jesus was not making fruit-bearing an option here. And in our study of these passages, we're gonna this passage we're gonna come to those words that, that trouble all of us about remaining in Jesus. Uh, we'll be fruitful if we don't remain in Him. We're going to be uh, thrown away and thrown into the fire. What, what is that all about? I think it has to do with being grape branches and doing what grape branches are supposed to do. They're, they're supposed to bear grapes. And if they don't, especially after that time of, of pruning and nurturing by the gardener, which Jesus says is his father. His father is the one who, who nurtures and tends and prunes his branches, those who are followers of Jesus, so that they will be fruitful. They, after a while, are cut from the life of the vine so that the valuable life energy is not wasted but is channeled into other branches that are bearing fruit. I make this feeble attempt at my house to, bear, to, uh, to, to grow orchids. I have two fairly large orchids, and they're sitting on this one table that seems to make them happy. And if, you've, if you raise orchids, you know that they can be a real pain. And, and I, have, I have one orchid that just is doing what orchids are supposed to do. Just wows you with its beautiful blossoms. I have another orchid that I hate. It's got gorgeous, gorgeous green leaves. It's always pushing out new green leaves. And it pushes out, if you raise orchids, you know they talk about air roots. It pushes out these these gorgeous air roots. I don't want leaves and I don't want air roots. I want blossoms. Orchid blossoms. No one has ever come into my house and said, whoa, beautiful air roots. <laughs> Who cares? I'm supposed to have orchid blossoms. It's an orchid plant. are basic truths, but I want to share two this morning that I hope you'll take with you and as you continue to read through and prayerfully consider this text for the next few weeks that we spend in it, I hope that these two truths won't quickly escape any of us. I think they're foundational to our study of this text, to, to deeper our understanding of what Jesus is getting at. Truth number one is this, don't laugh. Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the vine. That's what he said. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, Hey guys, I'm a vine and your branches. Jesus said, I am the vine. Jesus was was making to his disciples... I think a very exclusive and a very qualitative statement. He didn't say, I am just any old vine, I'm a vine among many. He said, I am the vine. It's an exclusive statement because Jesus is saying to his disciples that as his followers, he is their source of life. Nothing else is going to give them life for the journey. Nothing else is going to give them life for the mission. Nothing. There's that word again. Nothing but Jesus is going to empower them To live the life that he has called them to live, thus bearing fruit, that's a life lived, that looks and sounds a whole lot like Jesus when people encounter them. Does that make sense? He's their only source of life. He's saying to them and to us, you can look to Many people, you can look to many things and very likely you will, but you will not find life in any other person, any other thing. That's the, that's the qualitative dimension of the statement. It's exclusive. He is the only one. And the quality is that there is no greater life that can be found than following Jesus. And we've talked about this before, to follow Jesus is to become a child of God, to commit my life to Christ, as so many of us have, means that we have become children of God. He has granted us, by virtue of adoption, a a, a status as His child. We have become members of His family because of the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus. It's exclusive. Brings us back into relationship that we were created for. It's qualitative. Jesus is saying to his disciples, fellas, and to us, ladies and gentlemen, you will find no greater life than to follow me. I am the vine. Jesus said, I am the life. I am the vine. One of the things that's, that's terribly challenging, I think, for us about being followers of Jesus in, in our culture which worships political correctness is that exclusivism, particularly in, in the realm of faith issues, exclusivism gets you assigned to some very uncomfortable and hurtful categories. We'll talk more about this as we journey on into the text. But for now, just for this morning, take this with you. I think what we need to understand is that if we do not believe that Jesus is being exclusive in this statement, if we do not believe that, that, that he is the vine, that he is the only way to life, both eternally, as Brian was suggesting, but also to a quality of life that is lived as his followers now. If we don't believe that, then what's going to happen is we're not going to believe that his commands are essential for life. How many times did we read in this text together the importance of obeying his commands? And if we're not willing to say that Jesus is the vine then what we'll do is we'll communicate subtly or maybe even sometimes not so subtly that life can be found in other places rather than His commands for how we ought to live as His followers. They, in fact, are optional. And that leads us to truth number two. First, Jesus is divine. Truth number two, if we're followers of Jesus... (laughs) <laughs> you got to notice the language again, then we are his branches. It's indicative. It's, it's happened. It's a done deal. I am the vine, Jesus said, and you are the branches. Not you'll become branches someday if you work hard at it. Perhaps you'll wake up and find yourself a branch. No, it's a statement of reality. You are are the branches. Now, we'll learn as we go on through this text that not all branches are in the same place, not all branches bear the same amount of fruit. They all by the way bear the same kind of fruit because it is a grape vine, but they don't bear the same amount of fruit. And so the father, the gardener nurtures and prunes and trims and brings the full potential out of that branch. We are his branches. It's, uh, it's indicative language. It's in the same category with Jesus' statements in Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. As followers of Jesus, there is a, there's a life that will flow from us. That is what the fruit is that Jesus is talking about. And I would suggest to you this morning that, that far too often in the history of the church, we've gotten hung up on, on lists of do's and don'ts. We want to identify people by the fruit of their do's or the fruit of their don'ts. And I'm not suggesting that that grace is an excuse for us to live any way we want. There are exhortations in scripture that we ought to give attention to. But I think what Jesus is driving at is if you're deeply rooted in the vine, then your heart wants what the vine is producing in you. It's a heart issue. I know, you've heard me say that a zillion times. It's always a heart issue. And, and the fact of the matter is, m- my heart so often thinks that it knows better. Don't get haughty, so does yours. We think that our hearts know better. That's what abiding in Him is all about. And, of course, there's more to come on that as well. The Father, Jesus said, expects a certain kind of fruit... From we, who are his branches, and it again is fruit that will look and sound a whole lot like his son, so if the if the branches are deeply embedded in the vine, does that not seem reasonable to you? If we are healthy and we are we are deeply embedded into that that vine, which is our life source, then our lives are going to to continually look more and more like Jesus, producing. The fruit of a holy life as Jesus lived and, and modeled for us. Now, here's just kind of a, a, a quick ending. I think it's kind of a, kind of a return to the beginning is, is how I've looked at it. You remember early on in Jesus' ministry. This is toward the end of his ministry. As we, as we get into John chapter 15, it's, it's a part of what some call the upper room discourse. You know, he shared the last supper with his disciples. He's teaching them. He prays for them. And then they go out and He's arrested. In the garden. Sort of the end of his teaching ministry with his disciples. Clear back at the beginning of his teaching ministry. He announced to his disciples. Or those who were wanting to follow after him. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must do what? You remember? Deny self. Take up your cross. Follow after me. I think, I think what Jesus is saying just in a different way is that when you are deeply embedded in the life of the vine, you have died to that heart inside of you that thinks it knows better, and you are following after the Spirit of God who has become your life source as a branch. Leith Anderson, some of you probably have read some of his things. He's a pastor in a Twin Cities area. He's a writer. He uh, gives an account of this story that he heard one time from a woman. Her name was Judy Anderson. Turns out she was actually a daughter of covenant missionaries years ago in in the old Congo. But she's now the wife of uh, the West Africa director of world relief. Anyway, they were talking and she told him this story. She said when she was a little girl, there was a celebration that was held for the 100th anniversary of the coming of Christian missionaries to that part of the Congo. She said that in typical African fashion, it was an all-day event, starting at sunrise and going all the way until sunset. There was food and music and speeches and parties. It was a great time of celebration. Near the end of the day, when it was almost dark and time for everyone to go home, a very old man asked if he could come and speak to this gathered crowd. When he came up, he said to them, There's something that I know that no one else knows. And soon I'm going to die. And if I don't tell you, then I will take this to the grave with me. He said a hundred years ago, when the missionaries first came to our people, we had never heard of their God or of their book or had seen anyone who had looked anything like them Our people didn't know whether to believe what they had to say or not. So our leaders got together and they conspired to come up with a test to find out the credibility of these newcomers. The test was they would poison one of them and see how everybody reacted. What ensued was one day a little girl got sick. And her parents thought it was an ordinary illness. But they couldn't do anything. There was nothing in their missionary medical book. There was nothing that seemed to address this situation. Their daughter, just a child, a preschooler, she got sicker and sicker and she finally died. Here they thought they had come to establish a community and they started out by establishing a cemetery. A few weeks later, a husband in another family got sick and it was a similar sickness. He just got sicker and sicker. Eventually he died. And then the wife of the third couple and another child until this old man had explained how finally all of the missionaries had died. And then he said, his people watched how each missionary died and decided the message must be true. It was then, the old man said, that they decided to follow Jesus. Jesus said unless you deny yourself take up your cross and that's not the jewelry we put on around our neck it's the thing you die on take up your cross and follow Jesus it is death to self that I think is the primary fruit that is found in the branches that are the followers of Jesus we work hard to allow the Spirit of God to flow in us and through us so that we die to self again and again and again and again for the sake of those who need to know our Savior who died for them. Praise team, why don't you come on up and, and lead us as we respond. Let's pray together. Father. Death to self is probably the most difficult thing that any of us ever faces. Because there is that residual stuff in our heart that comes from that sin nature that even though it has been conquered by the Lord Jesus, it still raises its head from time to time and it cries out wanting to be in control, wanting to make decisions, wanting to judge what is right and what is wrong. Father, I pray that you would not only forgive us from that tendency and when we yield to it, but, but empower us and strengthen us. Give us the ability as we grow more and more and our rootedness, embeddedness in the vine, to understand that, that life, life abundant, life that can be found nowhere in nothing else, in no one else, is found as we die to self and live like Jesus, we pray in His name. Amen.